0: Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I'm excited to be with you today on We Earth Radio. Today I'll be playing another rerun of someone who's very dear to me, and uh, you'll I think believe he might be dear to you too. He's a writer, environmentalist, author and uh, well you'll find out. So this is the last of my summer rerun stories as I was putting on the summit and uh, have just completed that. I hope some of you got to see the summit. It was some amazing interviews with people. I also wanted to tell you about some of the upcoming shows that we've got because I've got just a stellar lineup of people coming up next week is john michael greer and he has been uh, the arch druid of america he's, he's written more than 50 books on druidry and uh, occult and magic and many subjects but i love this new book that we're going to be talking about called the king of orange The Magic and Occult Roots of Political Power. It's quite an interesting and probably the most uh, complete and accurate, as far as I can see, analysis of how Donald Trump became president of the US. So stay tuned for that one. Coming up after that is Bill Pfeiffer, and we're gonna be talking about his latest book, Wild Earth, Wild Soul, a manual for ecstatic culture. And, oh, so many great people. I don't know if you've read any of Gary Zukav's books over the years. He, of course, became quite well-known with the Dancing Wooly Masters way back, I think, in the 70s, early 70s. And he has a new book out called The Universal Human. So that's coming up soon. Then after that, my old friend Peter Russell, who's been a a great... uh, friend and mentor and teacher over the years of meditation and uh, going inward, and he has a, a brand new book out called Letting Go of Nothing. The following week, we have Leo Burke uh, talking about Adi da's book. Adi da has passed away, but he was a spiritual leader, and the name of the book is Not Two, talking about non-duality and really a plan for peace for the planet and then uh, more people, Jonathan Gustin. So we are we have a great fall lineup, and I do hope that you will join us for that and uh, participate in some of the upcoming shows that we'll be having. You can also listen on We Earth Radio. Go to welloflight.com or look for We Earth Radio, and you can find past shows. I've got about 15 or 16 years of really some great thinkers, environmentalists, activists, uh, social change agents, and um, just a lot of great people. It's been really a joy and a privilege to interview some of these people, and I'm really happy to be able to share them with you, and um, yeah, I hope you enjoy them. So let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Duane Elgin. He's a visionary author, speaker, educator, consultant, futurist, and media activist. For more than three decades, he's defined the cutting edge in consciousness research, in the ecology movement, and in future studies. He pioneered the voluntary simplicity movement with his now-classic first book, titled by the same name, published in the 1980s. An updated version is about to be released. Actually, it just has been released. His other books include Promise Ahead, Awakening Earth, and The Living Universe, Today we're going to talk about Duane's latest book, The Living Universe, Where We Are, Who We Are, Where We're Going, and his latest website on great transition stories. Duane, welcome to Conversation.
1: Michael, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great. We're <laughs> in this lovely place in Fairfax, uh, yes. outside where, where we should be, getting our information from nature. <laughs> and you have this new blog, which I hadn't uh, found until just re- recently, called GreatTransitionStories.org. What is it, and why did you start it? Well, um, when I've... Uh, talk with people about
1: the future, I often get uh, this extraordinary three-word response about where we're going as a human family. Often people will say, well, as I look ahead, we are going over the cliff, Uh, we're going to hit the wall. Um, People have an extraordinarily impoverished sense of our collective future. And what we have done as a community is to say, well, uh, there are stories of this time of transition. they are great stories of transition. And so we have drawn from biology, from cosmology, from mythology, from psychology, and we've done rigorous research, and we've said there are promising stories of our future, and they are our stories as a human family. Mm -hmm. The important thing about these stories is that they're universal; everyone understands them. Uh, They're emotionally powerful, and they're evocative of our higher human potentials. Mm -hmm. So every one of the there's more than a dozen stories now of of great transition and uh, I could give you uh, an example yeah, of, of a, a great transition story um, a good example is to ask people well what is the life stage of the human family are we growing up are we maturing as a human family so I've gone around the world I've asked people what is the life stage in your estimation of the human family are we in a toddler stage A teenage stage, an adult stage, or an elder stage. If you put us all together, look at our behavior, where are we as a human family? And I've asked this, for example, in India, uh, in Brazil, Japan, uh, Canada, Europe, the United States, and everywhere the same response comes back overwhelmingly people say adolescent adolescents you've got it (laughs) and so uh people say oh now i understand this complex world of climate change species extinction resource depletion and all the rest is underlying that is another story of our just growing up And so people say, now I see what's going on. We need to grow up as a human family. Well, what does that mean? So then I start asking people, well, what was most important in your life as you went from your adolescence to your adulthood? The premise being what was most important for you as an individual is probably the most important thing we need to get as an entire human family. And people step back and they say, you know... What was really important for me was a new story about uh, who I was and where I could go from here, or what was most important were role models uh, for a new future or what was most important was feedback, mm-hmm. uh, a hard look in the mirror so then I started, it's a
0: generative story I, I love yeah, that they're about all it. generative <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, so then I say to people, well Where are the role models that we have for growing up as a human family? They're essentially sports stars and movie stars. And those are not taking us into a more mature uh, future. Well, what kind of... um of, of stories do we have well the stories what we get are from the mass media and those stories are essentially stories of perpetual adolescence and happiness through consumption and that's not taking us into a more sustainable and promising future so basically um People begin to see their own empowerment through their own life journey and saying, "You know, I have something to add to uh, to the story of the larger human family and how we can get into a more uh, mature future and if we do get into that more." Um, that higher level of maturity, three things begin to happen. One, a new relationship with the Earth, more sustainable. Two, a new relationship with the rest of life, more compassionate. Three, a new relationship with the universe, a more sacred regard and appreciation for the living universe in which we uh, exist.
0: Mm, Beautiful. I'm reminded of in uh, your book, The Living Universe, you quote Thomas Merton talking about every thought and every action is a seed being planted. And from, you know, someone who's been active for a long time in environmental and social justice issues, most of the focus, I, I would guess, more than 90% of the focus is on what's wrong, not about where we're doing or what right. we can do. So right. that's a really powerful site. And, it, and it, again, it's called um, the um, uh, GreatTransition.org, right? It's Great
1: it? Transition Stories. Great
0: transitionstories.org. Great. So speaking of the book, let's talk a little bit about the book. Uh, One of the key premises is the shift from a dead universe concept to a living universe concept. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Uh
1: Yeah. Basically, for the last 300 years or so, science has been telling us that essentially the universe is is comprised of inert matter and empty space. And if we look out at the world around us and we say, well, it's essentially a lot of dead stuff out there and there's just a little bit of life. It's us uh, humans that are most alive and most living. Immediately, the first thing that people want to do is to exploit that which is dead on behalf of the living, us. So as soon as we get a dead universe point of view... We call those resources. Yes. (laughs) As soon as we get a dead universe point of view, we begin to naturally exploit the deadness for the aliveness. And that's what we've gotten for the last 300 years is an exploitive uh, mindset, and that's produced the Industrial Revolution. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's predictable that we would actually uh, do that and get to the point of um, near catastrophe as a human species. Every species will exploit its ecosystem to the fullest extent. That's, a, that's what nature does. We've done that as a human Species. The question, though, now is that we've gotten to this point, where are we going to go from here? And uh, that's going to require us to step back, take a hard look at ourselves, as well as where we live. And is this a correct understanding that we live in a dead universe? And increasingly, science is saying no. This is a a living system that we're a part of. And actually, this goes back to Plato more than 2,000 years ago. He said the universe is a single living creature that encompasses all living creatures within it. So uh, the idea that we live in a living universe is an old idea, but it's finding new power in with with science cutting through superstition and fantasy and saying actually this is an extraordinary place in which we live and it's pointing towards aliveness and once we live in a living universe well then instead of instead of uh orienting ourselves towards consumption let's say um how do you know you amounted to anything in a dead universe well how big is your pile of stuff How big's that car? How big's that house? Uh, Instead of that, you want to get rid of this clutter, the complexity that stands between you and the aliveness, the juice of that aliveness. And where do you find that? You find it in nature. You find it in relationships and other people. You find it in your acts of generosity, your acts of creativity. That's where we really, really come alive. And so the shift from a dead to a living universe transforms not only how we see the world out there, but what we give to the world from ourselves in here.
0: Yeah, and of course all the religions have also spoken to that. I'm curious about how that changes the way we live our life as we begin to integrate a concept or an experience, more more accurately, of being in a living universe. How have your actions changed as that? I know you've been working on this book for almost 30 years or something. So obviously... When you write something like that, it changes you. How has it changed your being in the world? Yes. Uh, Essentially, in the
1: past, I thought, okay, if I live in a dead universe, basically all I've got here is my physical body. And I'm no more than that in a dead universe. That's it. But if the universe is a living system, then my aliveness participates in the larger aliveness of a living universe, and all of a sudden, my aliveness is not just coalesced within myself. It is it is participating. It is dancing with the aliveness of the larger universe. So it changes my sense of identity. It says I am not simply. My body. I am my body, and I am the uh, feeling quality of connection with the totality of the universe around me. Whether it's nature, it's other people, that we are dancing in this aliveness together and co-creating uh, the world with that kind of process.
0: Mm, yeah. So we're moving from what um, Alan Watts called a um, a skin encapsulated ego. Yeah. To yes. To something that's very hard even to imagine that our being expands beyond our physical body into a living universe and in the living universe you talk about how 96 percent of the universe is invisible is invisible and uh you know of course um david bohm talks about the expli uh, implicate and explicate order similar kind of uh concept Talk about the impact of the invisible universe, uh, how we've discovered it, how we've been able to actually measure it and see the impact of it and the future uh, impact on us of this 96% of the entire universe that's Invisible. Yeah,
1: isn't this amazing, Michael? It is amazing. It is. And because this is a new insight. Uh, just a few decades ago, science thought if we would look out and see the uh, physical universe around us, that was it. That was the known universe.
0: What you could measure with the what senses? What you can
1: measure, yes, with your senses. And now science knows with great certainty that 96% of the known universe is invisible. And what they call it, uh, the invisible part, is dark matter and dark energy. Mm -hmm. And they call it dark because they can't see it. Mm -hmm. But they know that underneath all of the visible uh, universe are these two extraordinary forces. Uh, Dark matter, which is, is coalescing, which is pulling things together, and dark energy, which is pushing, which is expanding things apart. And here we are riding on the 4%, just on the very top of this wave, with the vastness of the universe, 96% of it being invisible. And I ask people, are you a part of the universe? Well, how much of you is invisible? Are, is 96% of you uh, invisible? Well. Open up to that ninety-six percent, uh, and know that you're participating in a much larger universe than just is contained within your skin encapsulated
0: body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I uh, love your metaphor of uh, we're clouds not realizing we're part of the sky. Yes. that was a, that really. Oh wow, that's a that's a great one. So, um, well, that has a particular impact on us. Two things come to mind. One is. You're talking about us as giants when we realize the magnitude of our impact on the universe and as well as the impact of the living universe on us. What that takes me to in thinking is the relationship between energy, matter, and consciousness. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about how that has evolved in your thinking and is related to the living
1: universe. Yeah. Now, if if I am my body, and if that's all there is, well then it makes sense to say, well consciousness must be a byproduct of my my thinking mind. That somehow this body is able to generate this mysterious quality called consciousness. On the other hand, if we think uh, we're skin encapsulated beings, well then our consciousness is contained within that skin encapsulation. On the other hand, if the universe is a living system, then it makes sense that there would be a a sentience, an aliveness, a consciousness that infuses the entire universe. So my consciousness, my capacity for knowing is not contained exclusively within my body it also extends out into the consciousness of the living universe. And uh, I've had the opportunity to explore the ecology of consciousness in a laboratory setting over a period of years. And I've gotten feedback from uh, a variety of technical apparatus to say that, yes, we do live in an ecology of consciousness as well as an ecology of matter. And we dance in that ecology day in and day out, whether we're, we're, we realize it or not. Every time we meet someone, we are meeting not only the physical presence of that person, but the orchestration of their consciousness, the the qualities of being that they present, they bring, they bring uh, to the world. So uh, we're living uh, in this... Uh, in this vast ecology of aliveness, and uh, I think our bodies are essentially biodegradable vehicles for acquiring these soul-growing experiences. And the soul-growing experience is to recognize we are bodies of light, love, music, and knowing that knowing is our capacity For consciousness, Uh, so that is who we are. When we die, what happens? Uh, We 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 our aliveness dies into the larger aliveness of a living universe. Life moves into life, and uh, we're never lost. We're never forgotten. Uh, Our aliveness moves into the larger aliveness of a living universe, and the consciousness of a living universe. Okay, so
0: there's a lot in what you just said. Let's break it down a little bit. So first of all, let's look at a being as, rather than a skin-encapsulated ego, as light, love, and uh, knowing. I think those were the... Music and, and knowing. And, uh, music and, and knowing, yeah. Um, so those are huge concepts. Let's, let's break them down just so people are following Great. what's behind your thinking. there. Great. If we go to physics... Uh, first of all, physics says, uh, if
1: we go to the very foundations of reality and what's now called string theory, that these strings are nothing material. Essentially what they are are loops of energy. And these loops of energy vibrate. And depending upon the vibration of those loops, they come together, they aggregate, they accumulate into what we now see as physical matter. So the foundation of physical matter is basically energy and it's energy that's vibrating and that means the entire universe is filled with strings of vibration. It is music. We live in a world of music according to the physics of string theory.
0: Now if we would also coincide with the uh, Sanskrit each each, uh, sound of each word Ohm um, being the mother yes. Uh, tone of yes, it. And, and, you know, when you're in nature, like when I go up to the top of Tuolumne Meadows, uh, up above Tuolumne Meadows, and I'm laying by a lake there on the ground, I can really hear it loud, that sound of the universe. And we each vibrate or resonate that's like right that too. That's,
1: that's right that's right fantastic that's right so that brings in the world's spiritual traditions and every one of the world's wisdom traditions speaks as you just spoke about the hindu tradition there is the great sound of nature and um so uh, whether it's om or the other appreciations of the resonance of nature from the spiritual traditions, science is beginning beginning to validate that, yes, that's true. We live in a world of music, fundamentally a world of music, and we are beings of music. Mm -hmm. And every person we meet, as I said earlier, is an orchestration that we encounter. Every person has a unique uh, quality of music that they present to the world as their persona their personality so that's just one quality we're beings of music as well as light
0: uh love and knowing Mm -hmm. yeah and so you know also to take that that resonance uh that we're talking about not only is it music but the denser the resonance the denser the form or or relates to matter then yes so you know something a rock is vibrating at a much uh slower frequency than a human or than a you know a wind uh, whatever so so we're beings of music we're beings of light say a little more about being a being of light because okay. that's been through every spiritual, Indeed. major spiritual tradition. Indeed. So uh,
1: let's once again start with physics. <laughs> uh, physics says uh, the basic building block of material reality. One way to look at it is that it's photons. Photons are the basic building block of the universe. And photons are uh, you know, that is a quanta of light. So everywhere we look we are seeing um the building blocks of the universe as uh, as an expression of light. And if we go to the to the world of spirituality, uh, what does it say? It's, it talks about enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the light in the other person's eyes, their soul, that we see? So once again, physics and spirituality, the wisdom traditions coincide to say, yes, it is light, and you are a being of light. And we live in a world of light. And when we know that, we will will become enlightened mm. so um, uh, this is an extraordinary affirmation of, of an entirely new dimension of uh, who we are and how we exist in this in this
0: universe and so when we move to the knowing part I think that's fascinating um, I'm thinking of the Heisenberg principle that you can't uh, separate the observer from what's being observed and yes. the impact so in essence what that means is that um, that we are influencing the universe, and the influence the universe is influencing yes. us at the same time. How do you know that, as a scientist? Well,
1: uh, I've had the great gift uh, to spend three years in the er- in the early nineteen seventies uh, working in one of the largest think tanks in the world, uh, exploring the ecology of consciousness. Um, and so I've had um, essentially, instead of biofeedback, cosmic feedback, feedback from systems to let me know whether I was fantasizing just within my own right. thinking mind or if I was actually connected uh, with with various technologies that would demonstrate and give me feedback that I was uh, in a relationship with them. So going back to what you're saying, we our knowing is not simply uh, uh, contained within the skin encapsulated uh, body. Our knowing is as large as our perception. And if our perception opens up to a larger world, that is the world in which our knowing occurs. So uh, if we look out at a forest, if we look out at, at, at an, an individual, let's say we look across the room at a lover and we feel something happening within ourselves, that is not only a physical response, there is an intuitive um, Resonance that comes from the conscious knowing of our participation with that being in that very moment.
0: And there's so many tests that now. I mean, Rupert Sheldrake's work and Dean Radin's work, so many Indeed. people have been measuring it and quantifying it in amazing ways. Yeah. Um, so I love what you just said a second ago. Um, and I'm going to say it a different way because I can't remember how you said it exactly. But basically, that reality is perception, but perception is also reality. That's a very big statement. You want to elucidate on the, the implications of that statement.
1: Yeah. Here's what it r- deeply means for me. Um, years ago, when I saw myself as more of a physical being, I thought my role in the world was more to be dominating. That's the good white male perspective. Uh, Here we are, uh, uh, let's dominate, let's succeed, let's achieve, let's stand above it all. And uh, what I learned in the laboratory is that domination doesn't work. And there's a physics to this. For every push, there's a a response. In physics, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. And if I push on the universe, it's gonna push So what I learned, and it took me years to learn this, is that uh, domination doesn't work. What works is dancing. If we are willing to be in a conscious relationship with other people, with the rest of life, and we're not pushing on it, but we're willing to move with it, be in a participatory dance with it, it will move, it will dance with us. And that changes then how I relate to the entire uh, universe. It changes how I relate to
0: myself. Yeah. I love Rian Eisler's uh, work, particularly around the shift from the dominator uh, model of the patriarchy to the partnership model. And basically, that's love. And one of the things we didn't talk about in Beings of Light and Music and Knowledge is, you also say in this book, we're beings of love. Yes. What does that mean?
1: Well, this is so interesting. If you take someone and they go, let's say, off to meditate uh, for, say, three years This is not uncommon in the Tibetan tradition, for example. And you ask, well, you've sat there in meditation for three years. What did you find? Was it this gray hum of a mechanical universe that's really dead at the foundation? Is that what comes up? Or does something else emerge? And again and again, meditators will tell you, that what emerges is an experience of the universe as a living system that has love at its foundations. And this isn't just confined to someone that goes off to a cave to meditate. In the United States, um, in the early 1960s, about 22% of the adult population has said they had a profound mystical experience. A mystical experience where they found love at the foundations of the universe. Now, if we move ahead a, a half a century to the 19, well, to 2009, instead of 22%. It's 49% of the American adult population has said they have had a profound mystical experience, including a sense of love being at the foundation of the universe. So this is a, uh, an experience that is widely experienced, but is seldom acknowledged. Particularly in our materialistic culture, we don't acknowledge love at the foundation uh, of reality. We tend to just see it as a mechanical uh, system instead.
0: I forgot who it was you quoted in your book, but I love the quote that love is an aware, love is awareness, that they're, yes. yep. they're um, That's interchangeable. Jack, Jack, oh, Jack Kornfield, Kornfield right, he said,
1: <laughs> I will tell you a secret. I will tell you a secret. Oh, I love this. He said, awareness and love are the same thing, mm-hmm. that if you really become aware, what you become aware of is love. At the foundation uh, and infusing the uh, the whole
0: universe. That's so exciting. It it, it um, reminds me. I, I don't know if you've read Brian's book, uh, "The Universe Is a Green Dragon." Uh, yeah. Yes, Brian Yes, but um, that book was just an incredible book for me because it brought such depth to the issue of awareness and uh, and, and you know that that if we really pay attention to something it is a loving of it it's giving our entire full being to something yes and um if we're giving our entire being to recognizing the living universe around us what's possible ah
1: it 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 transforms the human journey you know brian swim uh, one of his quotes that i love so much brian said Uh, the universe emerges out of an all-nourishing abyss at every moment. Mm -hmm. Wow, it emerges out of an all-nourishing abyss at every moment. So rather than just take the universe around us for granted, just assuming this is going to be there, what he is saying, no, this emerges moment by moment by moment has a self-consistent, creative whole, and it is presented to us uh, in its freshness, in its aliveness, at every moment. And part of that presentation of aliveness is ourselves as well.
0: We're co-evolving. We're co-evolving with the living universe. In fact, you have a a great part. I I wasn't ready to jump there, but since you brought it up, um, I'd, I'd like you to do the contrast of the four steps that you talk about in the living universe of uh, both the human evolution and the uh, cosmic evolution and how they are aligned from the uh, self-awareness through flow.
1: Ah, well, uh, there is recognized in the world's wisdom traditions a progression of awakening, if you will. And the first step is to say, well, I'm, I'm here. And as human beings, we have a capacity for uh, reflection, for self-reflection. And that's actually our name, Homo sapiens sapiens, Mm -hmm. which means we're not only wise, sapient, we're doubly wise. We know that we know. So the first uh, step is to move beyond the thinking mind. Uh, Often we say, well, I'm a thought thinking about itself. Well, we're more than a thought thinking about itself because that is the skin-encapsulated ego talking to itself. The next step is to, uh, is to relax, to open, and to allow a reflective consciousness, the mirror of consciousness, to be present in our lives and to witness our lives. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's meditation or psychotherapy. The first step is to be able to simply witness our lives, to watch our lives as we move through life. Mm-hmm. And that's bringing a reflective consciousness to bear. Mm-hmm. Now... If we cultivate that reflective consciousness over a period of time, probably a period of years, eventually the knower and that which is known become one. They merge together. When knower and known become one, What we encounter then is a feeling of oceanic connection with the totality of the universe. Mm -hmm. We're a part of the wholeness of it all. And our knowing and the knowing of a living universe are inseparable. And so that is moving then from reflective consciousness into oceanic consciousness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then if we reside there, if we persist with that sense of oceanic knowing, Gradually, we begin to see well, the ocean isn't just sitting there as a static presence, it is an emerging. It is itself alive. It is arising. And in the arising of that ocean, we see the arising of ourselves and that we can dance and move in that ocean. And then we move from the oceanic into flow consciousness. Mm. And our actions are a part of the actions of a living universe. And we both flow along together. And what I call that is reality surfing. So uh, that's a more modern name given to what is traditionally called Tantra, which mm-hmm. is thread, which is following the thread of consciousness, mm-hmm. the flow of the universe as it arises moment by moment. So that's the sequence from, from a thinking mind into a reflective consciousness, into the oceanic awareness, and finally into flow, uh, flow awareness, flow consciousness.
0: You mean we can just relax into it?
1: We can just <laughs> relax. It is
0: here all the time. It won't go away. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Let's talk about the idea of the Mother Universe. I'm just so fascinated with the discoveries. Um, you know, you were talking about the dark matter, and of course, black holes are the dark matter, and the whole idea that there are wormholes to other universes, each one having billions of. Uh, galaxies each of them containing uh, billions maybe hundreds of billions of stars and planets within it that's constantly generating itself with this from this 96 percent of the the you know unseen energy yes just this is so extraordinary
1: Uh, The evolution of science just in the last few decades, because we used to think just a few decades ago that the universe is everything that there is. Uh, That's it. Uh, Our universe is the totality of all that exists. Now, in modern cosmology, the traditional, the norm, is to say, no, there isn't just one universe, the one we're living in right now, there are probably an infinite number of additional universes, and every black hole on the other side of that is thought to be a white hole or the budding off or the creation of a new. Universe, and there are black, there are billions of black holes in our universe at the center of every galaxy, and every black hole, if that is a seed bed for a new universe on the other side, wh- what we're seeing is uh, just a mind blowing explosion of creativity of of countless other universes being created in addition to our own, and so it's humbling to see that we are in this larger garden of a mother universe. The physicists call it the meta-universe or multi-universe. I like to call it the mother universe Mm -hmm. because we live then in a daughter universe that's a part of a, a much larger cosmic system sustained by the mother universe. New twist on the Garden of Eden.
0: Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a garden. And, and yeah. you, you know, you can really see how if you watch things grow in your garden and they seed and they, you know, grow and expand, that's kind of the path that life is on. Yeah. Life itself is on. Yes. Is this, you know, growing, expanding, uh, finding the, the strongest way to evolve um, and expand. Yes, Absolutely. wonder if it's ever going to start contracting
1: well uh if the universe is a living system you would think just as a human being uh has a period of rapid growth and then it stabilizes and then it goes through its aging process why not why wouldn't our universe go through a similar process And at the same time, this greater garden is giving birth to many other universes. And so if we want a home, we have a vast ecology in the mother universe of homes where we can move to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, It just boggles the mind. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things you also talked about are the three paradoxes of our cosmic identity. And uh, I, I found that fascinating, the unity with diversity or uniqueness, the knower and the known, which we've kind of been touching on, and the being and becoming at the same time. Talk about those paradoxes a little bit for our listeners. Um, Being
1: and becoming. Uh, This is so fascinating that... um, It's actually, uh, I think both are true at the same time. That's the paradox. That's the paradox. paradox. Both are true. Uh, We're both uh, unique and a part of a larger whole. Uh, I am completely unique. Michael, you are completely unique. And yet here we are. A part of this emergent universe arising moment by moment, it's already unified because it arises as a totality in its wholeness at every moment. So we can't do anything about that. We're a part of a a co-arising whole at every moment. And yet there you are in your uniqueness, here I am in mine, and they're both true. So unity and diversity are not opposing, they are complementary aspects of one another. Uh, the Buddhist
0: concept of interdependent co-arising.
1: Interdependent co-arising. Right. This is found not only in Buddhism; it's found in every one of the world's wisdom uh, traditions. Uh, one of the, one of the more interesting ones I find comes from, uh, from Hinduism, and uh, no, I'm sorry, it comes from Islam. And it's a notion of occasionalism. And the idea is that if I'm holding a book right now, uh, a few moments from now it will not be the same book that it was before. It will be a new occasion of that book. And it will not only be a new occasion of that book, it'll be a new occasion of the entire universe that holds that book. So, uh, from from, Islam, we find the idea of an emergent universe. From Taoism, Taoism is about the mother universe giving birth to yeah. all that exists moment by moment. So the idea that the universe is a is a regenerative whole is found in all of the world's wisdom traditions. Mm. And so, becoming is is a constant process. The universe is constantly uh, becoming, and yet here we are as beings in that process of becoming so once again they are not in conflict
0: with one another but complement one another Mm -hmm. not that there's a destination but there's certainly a journey where where's the universe going that's one of the points of the book where where is it going i mean ah this is so interesting flowering Uh, it's flowering
1: now if if we ask that, and well, we can ask that conceptually, or we can ask that in a way, aesthetically, and we can look then at the architecture of the universe, and say, let's stand back from words and thinking, let's just look at the forms that are out there. And if we look at the forms that are in the universe, from the atomic scale, to the human scale, to the galactic scale, there's one form that comes up again, and again, and again. And it looks like a donut, uh, but in a dynamic form, a whirlwind Is or a tornado is that a hurricane is that, uh, but what it is is the simplest geometry of a self organizing system, and it means that if we look at the architecture of the universe, it has one master project in mind, and that is creating self-organizing systems at every scale. So if we want to know what the universe is doing, it's creating self-organizing systems, and what are we talking about? We're talking about how to become self-reflective, self-knowing, and that is a process of becoming self-organizing in our own lives. So we are fulfilling essentially the architecture of the universe that it has been intending for billions of Mm -hmm.
0: years. So the traveler's not separate from the journey. That's right. <laughs> <Well set. laughs> and vice versa. Well said. <laughs> well what are the basic properties? You're talking about self-organizing systems. What are the, what are the basic uh, properties uh, that we're talking about within a self-organizing system so that we can better recognize ourself in relationship to the living universe?
1: Well, uh, a self-organizing system has to be conscious. Uh, it has to be able to know itself. It has to be able to reflect upon itself. So that would be one of the key uh, uh, properties of, of a self-organizing system. Um, so in a self organizing universe, applying those principles, we can come directly back to our own progression from reflective consciousness to oceanic to flow consciousness. And this applies not only to the individual, importantly, it really applies profoundly to the entire society in which we live. We can become reflective as a community Uh, of empowered souls and uh, what I find just extraordinary right now is that we are acquiring the tools of mass communication which is the mass mirror of reflective consciousness whereby we can see ourselves and uh, at the very time we're moving into a, a period of, of systems crisis uh, as a species we are acquiring the ability to see ourselves in the mirror of our own media so the mass media then becomes the mass mirror which is the reflective mirror for our awakening as a
0: human family I love that take on the mass media you yeah. and I have talked a lot about yes. mass media in the past yes but to look at it as a mirror, and 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 then to evaluate: is this the world I want to uh, want to be creating and living in? Or if not, how can I better live within the living universe and be moving with the universe rather than against it? It That's gives right. a whole nother sense of dealing with the the um, the you know all the issues that we're up against, whether it's it's climate change or political or economic. Destruction or environmental, That's you know, right. all of that gets reframed in that. That's really It does. Crazy. And really I want right. to
1: just emphasize media not only as a mirror in which we see ourselves, does that mirror give us a distorted reflection? Does it give us a uh, clear reflection of who we are? Right now, I think it's giving us a very distorted yeah. uh, perception of who we are. And it's really perpetuating a more adolescent consumerist mindset at the very time that we're we're giant we're big beings in a in a living universe and it's not affirming that now secondly the mirror the media is also a window it's our window onto the world and so the question is what opening does that show us? And it's a very cramped, narrow opening and of that window onto the world that the media provides. And it's time for the media to become a more accurate mirror and also a bigger window
0: onto a, a rapidly changing world. We're working on it. <laughs> 95% of it, though, is owned by five corporations. Yes. So we're, we're kind of challenged in this media. But I think as people are waking up, they'll demand Yes, that 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 change. I love that you used um, Joe Campbell's uh, hero's journey as you began to to speak about our journey and the initiation and the process of that. Can you just speak to that as a way of looking at our own journey in this cosmic journey that we are intimately uh, intertwined with? Great.
1: Campbell said uh, the hero's journey uh, could be broken down essentially into three deep core stages. Uh, The first stage is a stage of separation, it's pulling back. Uh, The second stage is is one of initiation, and the third stage is one of communion, of reconnection. Uh, So The first stage, the stage of separation, is one we have been on for, I think, at least 30 or 40,000 years. We've been pulling back from nature. Uh, We've been increasingly becoming differentiated, individuated, empowered as individuals. I think we have taken that just about as far as you can take it in terms of individuation, separation, and all the rest. And now we're moving into a time of climate crisis, uh, the end of cheap oil species extinction and all the rest. And that is a time of initiation for the entire human family. This is our rite of passage when we pull uh, back from initiation and we look towards uh, our time of, of reconnection, community, communion, and so on. But we have to go through this time, the, the fire of initiation find our common humanity and that's where we are right now. But beyond that fire of initiation is a transition I think into a much more promising future and a much bigger sense of ourselves
0: as we've been uh, exploring here today. Beautiful. What you're calling the second axial age and the journey from spirituality of separation to a spirituality of Of, communion, communion. which is definitely where we're headed. Let's talk about the tools that we need to develop so that we can better experience the uh, subtle aliveness of the universe and begin to uh, reach into our own bigness or our own greatness.
1: Yeah. There are multiple tools. Uh Let me mention, first of all, uh, simplicity of living. Mm. Uh, To the extent that we think we are what we consume, we're going to spend our lives really distracted by uh, the 4% of material reality that that surrounds us. To the extent that we actually open ourselves to the bigness of who we are and we see we're a part of the 100% that includes 96% that's invisible, that's probably love, light, music, and knowing – At that point, what we want to do is get rid of the clutter, get rid of the complexity and engage the aliveness of a living uh, universe. So that would be one extraordinary step for our uh, consumer society. Another step would be to say, well, what is the story that we're telling ourselves about who we are and where we're going? Now, In the past, the story has been the American dream, but the American dream is now becoming the world's nightmare with uh, species extinction, resource depletion, climate change, and all the rest. So it's time to step back and maybe tell ourselves the story of Campbell, the hero's journey. We're not villains here. We're heroes. We're on a heroic journey of awakening or another story. We're just growing up. We're maturing as uh, as a species, as a human family. And if we begin to tell ourselves these bigger stories, we're going to move into a much bigger future. So those would be uh, two prime examples.
0: I want to put a plug in for GreatTransitionStories.org. Thank you. <laughs> also, because there are some wonderful yeah. stories. Um, uh, one of the ones that's particularly important and fascinating to me, which is really just emerging, is the work I've been doing with Will Keepin on the gender reconciliation. Gender reconciliation, For me, there's such a tie-in to healing the wounds between men and women that just aren't being talked about in men's groups, women's groups, relationship, tantra, all the things that are going on. This issue of healing the wounds and and bringing them out in the suffering and the pain out into the open so we can ground ourselves and take responsibility and offer forgiveness for these things. Until we do that... uh, we're not going to be doing the things we need to do to heal the planetary crisis. That that's, right. that's right. That's and, right. And the other thing, uh, which I, I know you mentioned in the book, but you didn't just say, is spend time in nature. Yes. You know, I think yes. that's just so important uh, that we do that in, on this journey of living more consciously.
1: Could could I just say about reconciliation that there are so many areas that we're divided as a human family. We want to move directly into love, but before love is really reconciliation, reconciliation requires telling the truth about what is happening in the world and we're divided not only between men and women but also between the rich and the poor we're divided by religions we're divided by species we're killing off other species we're divided but generationally our generation is consuming it all right now leaving little for the future generations so healing these divisions finding our reconciliation and our wholeness is foundational to moving into a more promising
0: future yeah one of my favorite parts of your book, and we're running out of time here, but I want to allow some time to talk about this, is the journey of discovering our own true gifts. Yeah. I think that's so important because, you know, you know, I spent 25 years in the corporate world, and uh, most of those people were not expressing their own true the gifts, true gift. maybe slight reflections of it here and yeah. there, but most of the people were there. Because it was expected, it's what they grew into, they had a mortgage and exactly. children, all these kinds of reasons that had nothing to do with discovering their true gift. How do we go in and find that true gift that's a uniquely ours, individually ours, and yet part of the collective. Yes.
1: See, I think that is the biggest challenge of why we are here. And uh, I love to go back to this uh, insight by the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. And he said that each one of us has near gifts and true gifts. And he said near gifts are things we're pretty good at. Uh, And often, like working in corporate America, uh, our near gifts are, are what we use to earn a living. But that's not necessarily our true gift. Uh, you might be selling real estate, but your true gift might be as a musician, as a poet, as a, as a caretaker, or whatever. But uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said, if we look within ourselves soulfully, and we really celebrate uh, the totality of who we are, we're going to find gifts that we are uniquely uh, given to give to the world. And uh, that is not something that anyone can define for us. It's something that our life is challenged to live out of and discover and give to the world. And in the giving, that is
0: the process of discovery itself. Hmm. Wow. What a great journey we're on. Oh, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I uh, really hope that our listeners will uh, get a copy of The Living Universe and check out GreatTransitionStories.org. Yes, Yes, it's a wonderful uh, resource and wonderful reading, each one of them. And Dwayne Elgin, thank you for your many years of work to bring this kind of presentation that I think people can really hear. Thank you, Michael. And and feel the the truth of it. And thank you for being on Conversations. Again, it's just a delight to Uh, hang out here in Fairfax in the beautiful park here. And wonderful to be with you. And thank you for your true gifts, Michael. We will talk soon. Take care. I also wanted to put a plug in for uh, Dwayne Elgin and his wife, Colleen's recent movie called Choosing Earth. It's based on Dwayne's book, also called Choosing Earth. And it projects a half century into the future to explore our time and the transition that we're in and how adopting a whole system's perspective of the converging adversity trends facing humanity and the three major scenarios for the future that are most likely to emerge from these trends. And and, uh, it's really a deep psychological, spiritual and scientific exploration of what it's gonna take to mature as a planetary civilization and go beyond the crises that we're certainly facing uh, as we look at the impact of climate change, income inequality, a very fragile economic system, extraction system, which as I often say, you can't have an economic system Based on continuous growth with finite resources. Anyway, check it out and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.